0: Well, welcome to The Crossing, so good to see you today. Um, Let's go ahead and welcome our Southeast campus, those who are watching online, our microsites across the country. Glad that you're part of The Crossing community and The Crossing family. Today, we start this brand new series called Spent, Taming the Money Monster. I I read a statistic this week that said that 75% of us that our number one stress in our life is money. So I mean, just look at your row out of every four of you, three out of four, that money is the biggest worry, is the biggest stress that we face. It consumes us. So this series is relevant for us. It might be the most important series that we do all year long. Well, here's what I've noticed about me. This is probably true of you, but I am satisfied with what I have until you have something that I don't have. A couple years ago, I made the mistake of going to see some new model homes in my neighborhood. Loved my house, completely satisfied with my house until I go through these model homes. I'm like, my house is terrible. I, mean, am I old. I mean, look at this. I want all of this stuff. And we just kind of live with this notion that I'm satisfied with what I have until you have what I don't have. And this is true of nature. I was watching a fascinating experiment with two monkeys where they had a simple task. And the task was to give a rock, and as a reward for the rock, they got a piece of cucumber. And they did this 25 times in a row, and the monkeys were completely satisfied until one of them got a grape instead of a cucumber. Watch this. So you have this monkey on the left, just gave a rock, he gets a cucumber, Very satisfying, loves it. This monkey on the right gives a rock and uh, he's going to get a grape. And the other monkey notices, hey, he got a grape. So he's going to give a rock and he's going to get a cucumber. He's like, what's this? I want a grape. Give me a grape. I want a grape. The guy on the right, he gives his rock. He gets another grape, very satisfied. This guy takes his rock, he's gonna bang it on the wall, you better give me a grape. He gets another cucumber. I don't want the cucumber, I want a grape. See, even monkeys are satisfied with what they have until somebody else gets what they don't have. It's true with all of us. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at a parable today that Jesus told to explain how to view our stuff, how to view our money and our lives. And parables, you need to understand, parables are just made-up stories. These did not really happen. Jesus told parables because he knew the power of a story to convey a spiritual truth, to help us understand these spiritual truths about God. He told these parables to under, help us understand the kingdom of God. This is what God values, this is who God values, this is how God views you, how God's economy works. And this parable we're looking at today is known as the parable of the talents. You've probably heard of this parable before, but a talent is actually a measure of money. And so the NIV, which is what I use, the translation that I use here on Sundays, it has updated this title, and it calls it the parable of the gold bags. And Jesus is telling several parables back to back to back, and he's explaining what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in Matthew chapter 25, we're going to begin in in verse 14. It says again, it, talking about the kingdom of heaven, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. A wealthy man is going on a journey, don't know how long that he's been going to be gone, but he entrusts his wealth to his servants. He doesn't give them his wealth, he entrusts his wealth to them. Well, there's a word in the first verse that is the key word to this parable. It's this word right here: as he entrusted his wealth to them. This word his, it establishes ownership. It's the master's wealth. It is not the servant's wealth. It is the master's wealth and he's entrusted his wealth to them. And this principle right here is the foundation for everything the Bible says about money. If we don't get this right, then everything the Bible says about money will be difficult for us to accept. But if we get this priority right, then everything else begins to fall into place. Here is this ownership principle. It is the big idea of today. If you don't get anything else, I want you to get this right here, is that it all belongs to God that it all belongs to God. This is our ownership principle. When we approach money and possessions from this perspective, that it all belongs to God, it begins to change our view of money, and it begins to change how we handle our money. We see this principle throughout the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14, it says, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Job 41.11, this is when God is responding to Job. You remember Job kind of gets mad at God and, and asks him, well, God responds to Job, and here's what he says. He says, who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. If we begin to embrace this principle that it all belongs to God, it is the first step. To experiencing financial freedom. Well, we go on here in verse 15. It says, To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. Notice it says, Each according to his ability. Like any good boss or any good leader, he looked at these different guys to determine how much they could handle. He looks at this first guy and he says, You have a lot of talent. That I'm going to give you five bags of money to manage. He looks at the second guy and says, you know, you've been showing promise. You've been a good manager. I'm going to give you two bags of money to manage. He looks at this third guy and says, you're unproven, so I'm going to give you one. I'm going to let you just begin to prove your worth, your management skills by giving you one, each according to his ability. And whenever you read a parable, somebody in the parable is God, And somebody in the parable is you. Now, we know in this parable that God is the master. And so you're one of these guys. You're in this parable as one of these guys. So let's just assume for this sake that in this parable, you're the two-bagger. You're the guy with two bags because there's always someone who has more than you, and there's always someone who has less. So you're the the two-bag guy in this parable. Verse 16 It says, then the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. He went at once. So also the one who had two bags gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. The guy with five bags, he immediately went out and he invested his money. And he doubled his master's money. The guy with two bags, same thing. Doubled his master's money. Well, you already know that this is not going to end well for the guy with one bag of gold. And here's what he's thinking. He's thinking, what can I do with one bag of money? I mean, if I'd been given five or if I'd been given two, but I'd only be given one bag. I I can't do anything with one bag. Verse 19, it says, after a long time. Now, when Jesus says this, you have to begin to interpret after a lifetime. That for us, this is after a lifetime. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Well, this parable is in the middle of four parables that are back to back to back. And the theme is Jesus' return. That the master will return. And when he returns, you need to be prepared to give an account. To give an account. Verse 20 says, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, you can almost hear in his voice how excited he is that he gets to to show what he's done. He says, you have, look at this word, entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You entrusted me with this. You didn't give this to me. You didn't even loan this to me. You entrusted this to me. And so he's excited to begin to talk about what he's done with this. And then the master says, you have been faithful with a few things. And people who heard this would have gone, what do you mean a few things? This is the five bag guy. I mean, this is the one who's been given all kinds of things. This would have been years and years of income. Verse 22, the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you, look at this word, same word entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Same word, you entrusted me. You were faithful with a little bit of responsibility, and so I'm going to give you more responsibility. You were faithful with a little bit of money, so I'm going to give you more money to manage. And now in this story, the soundtrack changes. It all begins to change because we know that this is not going to end up well for this other guy. It says, the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say you entrusted me. See, before, before he even talks about what he did with the money, he begins to point his finger at the master. It's like, you know, this is kind of your fault. This is, this is really your fault. It's not really my fault. He says, here's what belongs to you, not what you entrusted to me. Verse 26, the master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. That you knew that I had expectations, and you did nothing with the money. You didn't even take it to the bank. You didn't even put it on deposit. See, he didn't see this as something that was entrusted to him. He completely missed the point completely missed the point. Verse 28 says, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. And this is where we want to go. Okay, time out. time Timeout. We want to get all Christian about this right here and go, okay, Jesus, that's not fair. That's not fair. Why would you give it to the guy with 10 bags? I mean, why wouldn't you give it to the guy with four bags? Or why wouldn't you split it between the two? I mean, because this doesn't seem fair at all. And Jesus ends this parable by saying, For whoever has will be given more, and, whoever, um, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Sounds pretty harsh. But remember, this is a story that Jesus told to teach us something about the kingdom of heaven. And this conveys. It conveys frustration regret, a missed opportunity. In the context of this parable right here, it's Jesus' return. That the master will return and you need to be ready. And Jesus is the master. And when he returns, you will have to give an account. He chooses money as the application, but it doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be. The idea is you need to be ready to give an account of your life. But money is the application that Jesus uses. If you read through the parables and you read through the gospels, money is the dominant theme. Why does Jesus use money so often? It is because money is the most accurate reflection of our faith. How we handle our money is the best gauge of our beliefs if we really believe what God says. See, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you treasure, your heart is going to follow along. Wherever you've put your treasure, your heart is going to follow that. The best indication if we trust God is our finances. It's our finances. So there's three applications to this parable. Three applications for our life out of this parable. That if it all belongs to God, then number one then we are not owners. We are just managers. If it all belongs to God, then we're not owners. We are just managers of what God has given us. Do you remember the movie Finding Nemo? Remember in Finding Nemo, one of the best movies of all time, in my opinion, the, the seagulls would fly around and they would go, mine, 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 mine. And the truth is that one of the things that stands in the way of generosity just mine, mine, it's all mine, it's all mine. It's my house, my car, my. it's mine, 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 mine. And when you begin to realize that everything you have comes from God, it changes your perspective. It, it changes your perspective. These three guys in our story, they were not owners, they were managing. They were managing the owner's stuff. A good manager takes their cue from the owner. I have a retirement account, and once or twice a year I talk to to my financial advisor who, who runs my retirement account, and he will tell me about what they're doing with the retirement account because that's what a good manager does. They ask, what do you want me to do with your stuff? See, God is the owner, and you and I are the managers, and the early church nailed this The early church nailed this. Maybe it's because they heard these words from Jesus' lips and it just resonated in their soul. But I want you to look at their attitude towards other people and their stuff. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 4. It says, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. There was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Now, this is so radical. This is so radical. And before you get too nervous and go, "Uh uh-oh, here's the application. The application is you need to go sell your house and all your stuff and and bring it all here. Now That's not the application. Because we know that the early church, that, that they still had homes because they met in their homes, that those who had homes that they offered them up for people to meet in to use, But the excess they begin to view all of their stuff is how can we serve God with this? You see, owners say, this is my money. I can do whatever I want with it. Managers say, this is God's money. How would he want me to use it? The phrase that just nails me, the phrase that just nails me is that they felt that what they owned was not their own. They felt that what they owned was not their own. When this attitude takes root, it changes lives. Lives are changed. Lives are changed. Number one, we are not owners, just managers. Number two, if it all belongs to God, then he is free to allocate his resources however he chooses. If it all belongs to God, then he can allocate his money however he wants to allocate it. If you look at the story, there's one guy who gets five bags of gold. One guy who gets two and another guy who gets one bag of gold. And our tendency is to think, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. Shouldn't everybody get the same amount of money? I mean, couldn't they, couldn't it have been evenly distributed among all of them? But here's what we miss is that whether you receive five bags of gold or one bag of gold, the master has been generous. See, this is hard for us to understand because this is not in our economy. So let me just try to translate this into our economy for us so we can understand it. These guys are all day laborers. So let's suppose a day laborer ends, earns $10 an hour, maybe, a, maybe $100 a day. Scholars say that each of these bags would be worth at least $30,000 each. Now actually, I can make an argument that each of these bags are worth a million dollars each because of the weight of a talent so i can make an argument that it's they're worth a million dollars each but we'll just go with the 30,000 figure so one guy gets 150,000 another gets 60,000 another 30,000 the person who received one bag was treated very generously this would be years of savings for him but here's my guess is the one who had one bag was consumed with the fact that he didn't have two and the guy who had two bags was upset because he didn't have five. And the guy who had five was a little disappointed because he thought he deserved all eight. See, we have this tendency to not quite be happy with whatever we get. We struggle with contentment. See, this right here, it's what causes so many of us to be workaholics. And you, you probably know who you are. It's what causes us to be consumed with money. It's what you think about before you go to sleep. It's the first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning. And we look around at someone who has more than us, and it robs us of our contentment. It robs us of our joy. Gallup had a survey where they said, How much would it take for you to feel rich and secure? Those who had $35,000 a year, they said, how much would it take for you to feel rich and feel secure? They said, $70,000. If I made $70,000 a year, I would feel rich. Now, my guess is for those of you who make $70,000 a year, you don't feel very rich. So those who made $70,000, they said it was $150,000. They went all the way up to to the people who made $2 million. How much would it make for you to feel Rich and secure, it was $5 million for them. They concluded that happiness and contentment was always twice as much as you currently have. It's this moving target. That's why the Apostle Paul says to us in Philippians chapter 4, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation." whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, when we understand that, that God is the owner of all things, that everything belongs to God, it takes the pressure off of us. Number one, we are not owners, we're just managers. Number two, God is free to allocate his resources however he chooses, so be content. Number three, If it all belongs to God, we are accountable for how we manage his money. We're accountable for how we manage God's money. In this parable, the master at some point will return and the servants have to give an account. Jesus is the master. And he has left and he will return at some point. And when he returns, we will have to give an account of our lives. And we are accountable in every area of our life. And God doesn't just automatically give blessings to anybody. He tests to see if you're trustworthy, if you can handle it. And if you can handle the little that he's given you, then he's going to trust you with more. Remember what the owner said in this parable to the faithful manager. He says, you've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. In other other words, you've been faithful with a little bit of money. I'm going to trust you with a little bit more money. And here's the myth that we tell ourselves. The myth that we tell ourselves is that when I have more, then I'll be generous. If I just make a little bit more, then I'll give back to God. You won't. It's just not true. It's just not true. Because he who's faithful with little will be faithful with much. In fact, do you know that the more money we make, the less percentage that we give? People who are the poorest of the poor actually give a higher percentage of their income back to God than those who make more money. That the more money we make, the less percentage that we give, that he who is faithful with a few things will be given more. And until you put God first with your money, money will always be a source of stress and worry. So here's my question for you. Where do I need to acknowledge God's ownership? This is the question you have to ask. Where do I need to acknowledge God's ownership in my life? One of the things that, that helps me is from time to time, I will just consciously acknowledge. I'll go through the day and I will consciously acknowledge that it all belongs to God. I'll get up in the morning out of God's bed and I'll go into God's bathroom. I'll turn on God's shower. I'll put on God's clothes. I'll go into God's kitchen and I'll eat God's Cheerios. I'll get into God's car and I'll go to work. And I will come home and I will consciously go, this is God's house. And then I will turn on God's TV and I'll watch the St. Louis Cardinals, God's team. (laughs) And I just try to go through the day acknowledging that it all belongs to God. God. Let me tell you, it recalibrates my heart. It just recalibrates me. So where do you need to acknowledge God's ownership in your life? See, here's here's the heart of this series. Here's our heart for this series is that we don't want it to be just scriptural. Obviously, I'm committed to teaching exactly what the Bible says about money. I will always do that. But we also want it to be helpful. Helpful. And so each week, we have a practical next step to help tame the money monster. Let me tell you the big next step that we have for you in this series, it's FPU One Day. It's Financial Peace University One Day. I took FPU several years ago. It's a life-changing class because it really just helps you just recalibrate your money and to begin to put the tools into place that you can change your financial future. I would love for you to be a part of that. We believe in this so much that we are... We're paying half of the cost for you to go because we think it's that big of a deal. But I want to give you this week's assignment. I want you to function this week as if you are managing someone else's money. I want you to keep a detailed record of how you manage God's money this week. Let me tell you why this is important. Because if it all belongs to God, we are accountable for how we manage his money. So we need to know where it's going. You can't, you can't arrive somewhere that you want to be. You can't get somewhere you want to be without knowing where you are right now. And so we have these handouts. It is these weekly spending journal. And right here, this there's just um, an, a column for each day. So... Tomorrow, lunch, $15. Gas, $25. To where you write down your spending journal for a week of how you spent God's money, how you're managing His money. Now, if you prefer to do, to do this electronically, that's great. I do it electronically. I use Quicken. Maybe some of you use Mint online, or maybe you use Dave Ramsey's Every Dollar. I have done this for years. I can give you a snapshot at any point, at any month, and I can tell you exactly how we spent every single dollar that came in. And because of this, Darla and I, we rarely argue about money. It's just not an issue, because we know where all the money went, that I want you to keep track of where your money's going because you cannot make changes in your life until you know how you're managing what you've already been given. This is a big deal for us. This is a big deal for us because it all belongs to God. Here's what I want to do. I want to close in prayer. And I want to ask you just to bow your heads for just a minute. Bow your heads and I'm going to pray for you. But here's what I've got to ask you today. Today. Have you transferred ownership of your life and everything you have to God? Have you done that? Because every serious follower of Jesus has to come to the point where they transfer ownership to God and say, God, in this area of my life, I'm transferring ownership to you. Maybe it's your marriage. Say, God, I am transferring ownership of my marriage to you. I cannot do this anymore. Maybe it's your dating relationship. It's just too much. You just don't have the answers. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's it's an addiction. You're going, okay, God, I'm transferring ownership of this to you. I know for a lot of us, it's our money. It's that last area. God, I'm transferring. I'm signing the deed of trust to you. Everything, it's yours. God, it is yours. I give it to you. Maybe some of you, this is the day you need to surrender your life to Jesus and finally say, I'm transferring trust of my life, my eternity to Jesus. God, we come to you and collectively, God, we want to sign that deed of trust over and say it's all yours. God, every part of our life, every part. And God, with so many of us, it starts with this money issue. It's acknowledging that it all belongs to you. So God, we just pray, you would come alongside us. God, I pray for those right now who are taking a step towards Jesus, who are surrendering their life for the first time to him. God, we give this to you. God, I pray that you would meet them right where they are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.